Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Cynthia Phelps. Dr. Phelps is an international speaker, mindfulness instructor, and founder of Inner Ally, a company building tools, courses, and mobile apps to improve mental wellness based on the science of self-compassion. She has extensive experience in learning and behavioral change and has been a has been developing mental health tools since 2009. Her background in pharmacology neuroscience helps her create programs and products for effective health and behavior change. Cynthia started Inner Ally after having a profound recovery experience with implementing self-compassion in her own life. And now she teaches and does personal coaching to help others make their own breakthroughs. Inner Ally celebrates the power of creating a kind and supporter inner voice to change your life for the better. Without any delay, I'd like to welcome Dr. Phelps. Hello. Hey, doctor. So glad to have you here today. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. You can call me Cynthia. Okay. Cynthia, it is great to have you here. Um, I'm super excited about all the things that you're working on, the the inner inner ally, self-compassion, technology. I love all these pieces coming together. Um, I'd love to get just a little bit of your origin story. What brought you up to this point so you could just so that we can kind of track that? Um, how did you get started into the space? Well, uh, my original training was in pharmacology. I have a PhD in uh, pharmacology with a focus in neuroscience. And I very quickly became less interested in drug development and really more interested in the brain and how it worked. And I was always been like really fascinated with people's behavior, you know, like, why do we do things? And uh, it's kind of uh, the, the last black box, right, of the body that we really don't fully understand. And there's so much more to learn, even though we've passed the decade of the brain uh, in the 90s. <laughs> there's so much more to learn. And so I was doing bench neuroscience research, actually. And one of the things that happened is the internet became interactive and browsers began to develop and some friends and i decided we found out we were all really interested in like science outreach and i was like well let's do a site to teach kids about their brain and uh one of my friends was a was programming in html at the time and the, my other friend was a graphic artist for the uh school and we just on our time off put together this website that we called brain surf and it was so cool it's like <laughs> like we had animated gifts and that was like the what, year, what year was this <laughs> this was like 1997 ish <laughs> oh that's awesome you're right there at the dot-com wave that's cool. and so this is when i realized that i really wanted to shift my focus in my career mm -hmm. and so i started looking around to see who else was using technology uh, to be able to teach and uh, to, to facilitate learning at the time and i just got plugged in with some of the right people and ended up in a department of health informatics where i ran a learning and technology program and then i started uh, collaborating with our School of Public Health uh, at the University of Texas in Houston. And uh, we just did some really fun things with technology, like fly online flash games back in the day, <laughs> adventure games that we, we actually got a grant from the National Institute for Drug Abuse to teach kids about how drugs worked in their brain. And oh, so, cool. yeah, so I had a very interesting academic career uh, but then I had a kind of a waylay in my career and my life. And, uh, I went through some personal loss that was really pretty profound. Uh, like one of, it was a divorce, but it was one of those that hits you on every level. Uh, my husband and I owned a business together. I had a stepchild, uh, <laughs> and then there was a long list of the things that I ended up uh, losing, unfortunately. And I, with my background, even though I knew all kinds of things about the brain and depression and all of these things, even substance abuse, mm -hmm. 
it didn't help me because I really didn't know how to dig myself out of grief. And I started using alcohol as a way to just dull the pain. And that was kind of the beginning of a real problem for my life. And uh, it ended up uh, ending my career as an academic. And, you know, I, I put myself in rehab, but, uh, and I, and I went through and I got, I got sober, but then they fired me right away. <laughs> they didn't know, you know, I never really told them. And I think the main, well, I don't think I know, I know I didn't tell them because I was deeply ashamed of, of using alcohol the way that I was. And I knew it was not right you know, and uh, I knew even though I was really smart and I could think my way all around, I couldn't get myself out of this because I'd never experienced uh, any kind of mental health challenges really from the inside before at this level. And so I was really lost. Uh, and so uh, I became an entrepreneur because I got fired. <laughs> Pretty good motivator. Yeah. Luckily, I was pretty smart. I had already been working with some people in the medical center, uh, mm -hmm. particularly people who are in the mental health field, because mm -hmm. that's what I was really interested in. And so I would at the time I was already developing online courses for uh, the Veterans Administration uh, in uh, Houston there. And so uh, I already had clients, actually. So it wasn't that horrible of a transition professionally, you know, if you don't think about the whole flushing your academic career down the toilet, but <laughs> it could have been much worse, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the problem was that when I went through rehab, mm. it did not address my fundamental problem. Mm. That problem was shame. You know, I was ashamed of my failed marriage. I was ashamed of pretty much everything in my life if i look back at that time because i did not understand how to take good care of myself and to support myself and be kind to myself i really just had an inner voice that was harsh and critical that i had kind of picked up from my uh, family mm -hmm. and so uh, it, it hurt me a lot and I wanted to, I just desperately wanted to be normal. And so uh, I tried to keep drinking <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, that did not go well. <laughs> Surprisingly, I was, uh, you know, just like all the rest of the other people who end up with a drinking problem and then pretend they could be normal again. And it did not work, <laughs> but uh, I had one of these experiences, like an aha experience that was so profound, mm -hmm. it changed my life. And I call it the most nerdy moment of enlightenment <laughs> because I was actually reading about research into self-compassion. Okay. And that's when I realized this is what I'm missing. And that basically started the whole next adventure of my life. That's beautiful. Uh, what's really interesting about that, I mean, looking at it, often we find our greatest lessons in the deepest, darkest moments of our life. That thing where you feel like all is lost, my entire life, my identity, everything that surrounds me is gone. And, that, and you feel and you're in that pit and you're like, like the academic career, right? But then there's a thing that happens on the other side of that where if you actually look back at yourself and you realize you, you have so much more and you've grown so much since then, you actually have this weird shift because you know, you remember the feelings before, but you don't identify with them. And at the same time where you're at now, where you shifted to this new place, it only happened because of the alcoholicisms and the shame and the guilt. And so in a way, they were really, they really aided you to get you to where you want to go, which I think is, which is interesting. I have some questions around this, but I would love it if you just can please continue to kind of bring you up to this moment to where you're at. Um, but I just want to kind of highlight yeah. the steps along the journey, which I thought was interesting. So, uh, 
I I literally remembered exactly where I was sitting when I read this article, uh, and it was uh, about uh, Dr. Kristen Neff. She's a researcher in Austin, Texas, and she is basically the premier Western researcher in self-compassion. Uh, you know, I say Western research because. Eastern religions have been using self-compassion very effectively for thousands of years. They got <laughs> one on us, you know, yeah. They were like, ooh, new thing, shiny. So, <laughs> but, you know, one of the, uh, my background, because it's research, I appreciate going through that door where I can look at something and look at the research and be like, oh, okay, I get it. This is how it works. This and this stuff, you know, if I can see it's working for other people, then the odds are it's going to work for me. And uh, at that moment, I, I had like a few realizations at the same time. The first thing, first one was, oh my gosh, this is going to save my life because I kind of knew I was on this trajectory where, you know, as an alcoholic, you can just accidentally kill yourself pretty easily. That's, <laughs> and then you're definitely killing yourself slowly. You're on that path for sure. So I was really unhappy with where I was at the time. And so I immediately knew this is what was going to save me. And then when I continued to read on beyond the benefits of self-compassion, which are basically like it's negatively associated, associated with depression, stress, anxiety. And now some of my research actually shows it's also negatively associated with the risk for addiction. Uh, and But on top of that, people who are more self-compassion are more creative, more productive, more innovative. They have better relationships. Like it just kind of goes on and I, it sounds like one of those, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and so I got through reading all of these benefits and I'm just all like, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. Uh, and then I got to the part where it was like, well, what is it? You know, how do you practice it? And I had this, I had this feeling like, oh, I have none of this. <laughs> like, we are going to be starting from scratch here. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'm just rolling up my sleeves. And like a true academic, I got in there and I started downloading research papers and I started reading all about how to do this self-compassion thing. And it turned out that Kristen had published a book and uh, the, the field was kind of in its infancy at that time, but she had already published like a scale to measure self-compassion. And, and so the, the research was well on its way. And so, it, you know, I have to tell them, tell on myself a little bit here, because I think I spent about three months, like kind of diving into it just like an academic. And then it was, I had this realization, like, Oh, I need to practice this stuff. Like, it's not going to be enough just to know it. <laughs> and I just totally laughed at myself. It was good. Like, I felt like one of those college students that, like, puts the book under their head before they go to sleep and kind of hopes that the, somehow it's going to change their life, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, after, after that, I kind of, I, I just was like, all right, well, then we gotta, I, need to, I need some help, clearly, because... So I signed up for one of Kristen's classes and that took me to the next one. And that took me to being, uh, I'm now certified as one of her mindful self-compassion teachers. Uh, and uh, as soon as I began to learn about self-compassion and as soon as I started to see things change in my life, I wanted to teach other people like immediately before I even knew what I was really doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But that's my nature, you know, uh, a true like academic just is hungry for knowledge, but then also just excited about sharing it with other people. And so that's uh, I started a company, another company <laughs> called Inner Ally, the one that we speak of. My tech company is Healthy Designs that I started in 2009. Uh, I still do occasional work. We just uh, finished up an app for a couple of uh, psychologists who have a company called Grow RO, which is a particular type of uh, uh, they have their own program. And so this is a way for them to their clients to track their own data. It's really cool. So I still do side projects like that. But I just recently moved my whole life across the country. I'm now in Asheville, North Carolina. Wow. And 
And so like I've started like my a whole nother phase of my life and I'm very excited about it because Inner Ally is now for the first time uh, in the forefront of everything that I do. And my other technology company is in the in the background. And I, I'm just really excited because I think I had some fear about getting my stuff out there, even though I was coaching. I've been coaching people for a long time now. Uh, I still had some fear about like, how will the world react to, you know, will everybody else have the same transformation as me? And at this point, I know who out there I'm supposed to be helping. And, uh, and so now I'm just excited to be on my inner ally adventure, the next phase. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So a couple of pieces here. One of the things being is that, so, I mean, this is, this is a journey of self-discovery and one of the hardest things is self-compassion, being able to do that, especially when you, you have the guilt, the shame and the fear and the doubt, like all that stuff that like stops us from like opening up and, and really loving ourselves, which is, a, it's, it's, it's like, it's like with anything else, it sounds super easy. Oh, just love yourself, right? But the actual activities of that is incredibly difficult. So, I mean, what would you recommend to somebody um, who's struggling with self-compassion and they don't know how to take that first step? Like, what is that? Is there exercises or what does that look like for them to kind of go from being uh, the academic space, which is research, to the business place of applied research, right? And for their own life. Yeah. Well, let me let me give you two answers. I'm going to tell a little story and then I'm going to give a really short answer on how you can execute this for yourself. Sure. So I was sitting in teacher training uh, for, uh, for the Mindful Self-Compassion program. I had already read Dr. Neff's book. I had read all of her research articles. Like I thought I kind of had it going on, you know, and I'm just kind of like, let's get this teacher training over. I'm ready to teach people. Let's do. And so she begins to tell us a story. And uh, incidentally, the story was in her book and I had already read it. And uh, she happened to be, I think, in Trader Joe's at the time. And she had her her son's autistic. And I think he was maybe like 10 at the time, somewhere around there where uh, he was he just had a meltdown. You know, one of those where you're on the ground kicking and screaming. And you, you, as a parent, you can't really do anything to intervene at that. Like you just kind of have to chill. And, and so she's in this uncomfortable space. You know, other grocery shoppers are like looking at her like, what are you doing to that child? And, and she stopped in the middle of teacher training and she modeled for us her inner voice. And she put her hand over her heart and she said, oh, darling, I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. This is so hard. And my mind was like, <laughs> because I was like, what? You can be that nice to yourself? I'm like, that's that is that allowed? Is that's allowed? Like, oh my gosh. You my inner my inner mind was just like duh, 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 duh. it was just chugging as fast as it could go to try to comprehend what I had just heard. And then this other realization, right? Like that I had no idea. I had no inner voice that was self-compassionate at all. It just wasn't even there. And I I realized at that point. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smart, <laughs> but like, I didn't get it. And I thought, you know what? I bet there's a lot of other people that just don't fundamentally get this inner voice thing. And it wasn't a huge piece of her curriculum. It's a, it's a piece of it, but how I, I I really found it to be such a fundamental premise that like I named my company inner ally for the, for the kind inner voice. And so, you know, when she said, um, when she said that to herself, what came to mind for me very visually was like the avatar grandmother, like not my grandmother, but everybody's best grandmother. And that was the voice like, Oh, darling, like I, 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 I saw it in my head and I was like, you know what? I bet I could make a bunch of other characters for people to relate for to that had compassionate inner voice language that people could actually just use instead of like, 
having to bumble through this process by yourself and try to do it from scratch, which is, uh, you know, like most self-help can be pretty awkward. <laughs> so that was kind of the birth of inner ally and the birth of my characters, the mm. inner allies. Got it. So that's, I mean, that's great. And that's interesting. It's also awesome as we noticed, like with any hero's journey, you find someone to model and that sets you on a path. Right. And so you're looking at that. And you're like, oh, that's a mentor, whether they're in person or they're virtual or, you know, people you stalk online, whoever it is. Right. You, you go, oh, that's they have an impression on you and they have something that you want. Right. Which was something that you don't have that you don't even realize is even possible until you actually witness it and wish it witness its effects, which allows you to go, oh, this is possible, too. But I think is fantastic. Um, so, I mean, with that. It, so you said you created those avatars. Is there, you said there was an exercise as well? Was that? Yeah. So this is the one exercise that we use in the beginning of the mindful self-compassion curriculum, which is mm -hmm. an eight week course, which mm -hmm. I teach on the regular. Uh, and it is, uh, in this exercise, what we basically do is we have people consider a friend who was struggling. Mm -hmm. And usually I do this in kind of a meditation type of a format where you kind of close your eyes, go in and picture it. But it's OK to just think about it as well. We can do that here today. And so if we just think to a friend who has been having a hard time, you know, maybe they uh, called you on the phone or they pulled you up on Zoom or came over to the house and they told you what was going on. You know, maybe they had a loss or maybe said somebody said something mean to them or who knows, right? Life hands out some stuff, right, that we have to deal with. Consider for a moment what you said to them. And consider the tone of voice that you might have been using with them. And so one of the things we know from the research is that we are wired for compassion, to see other people's suffering, to feel empathy, and then to have this urge to help. And so with our friends and family, it comes really natural to almost all of us to reach out and say like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. You know, can I help you? What's, you know, tell me more, you know, that kind of thing. Like, and, uh, you know, usually it takes two forms of this kind of real nurturing, like, oh, honey, that, that, that person should never have said that, you know, that really kind of, or it takes this really fierce, like, oh, that guy said that to you. <laughs> this is a fierce self-compassion or nurturing self-compassion are kind of a yin and a yang of a whole of treating yourself compassionately. So we know we can do this for others. And so that little exercise helps people to conjure up like how they treat other people. And then we ask them, okay, think about the last time you were suffering. You know, what did you say to yourself? <laughs> what, what did you do? What kind of voice did you use yourself? And people, you can see how people are like, <laughs> or what happened to me mm. was it was just a blank. Like, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily mean to myself, but like, I wasn't that nice either. And so a huge missing piece uh, for me. Uh, and, and oftentimes people can have inner voices that say things like, oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. Right. And then we just do the comparison. Okay. Like let's compare. What is, <laughs> how did you treat yourself versus how you treated this other person? Right. And, and people immediately are like, okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say like, oh, shockings, discovery. This is how you practice self-compassion to yourself. Just exactly the way you would treat a friend. Mm. Yeah. So we, and that's, that's the short story, right? Like that's the short of how to do self-compassion. So let's look at this. There's, there's a, an inner narrative that I've seen a lot with, I can't be highly productive or I can't be um, I can't I can't get myself to do the things I know I need to but I don't want to without self-hatred yeah and that is something that comes up a lot 
And, and so what would you say to people that says, I need to hate myself to move forward. I need to shame myself into making these things happen. There's things that people don't want to get rid of because they feel it's like an engine uh, that gets them to go over those difficult humps versus some people look at self-compassion as lowering of self-standards. So what would you say to this? Well, yeah, uh, this is a very common response to self-compassion, actually, mm -hmm. because our culture has kind of baked in this idea that you have to be harder on yourself, you know, and the tech industry is, you know, you have to crush it all the time. You'll sleep when you're dead. <laughs> and, and so it's like I would always wander around my, my tech co-working space and be like, you look like you need a nap. <laughs> but uh, I used to teach meditation there too. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a hoot. But yeah. uh, so here's the thing. Research shows that that's just bunk. Mm -hmm. The research shows that people who are more kind and supportive of themselves are more motivated to change. They are more likely to sustain a behavior change. Like, and they looked specifically at certain things like quitting smoking, losing weight, like some of those behavior changes that are hard. And so you actually have a better chance of sustaining change in your life for the better if you are self-compassionate. And this is, this is just the research. It's not anybody's opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, I think that sometimes people equate self-compassion with being the nice guy, you know, that like the nice guy gets the bad rap. Right. And it's because, because typically our culture hasn't really um, seen the really recognize the benefit of kindness in many ways. And it's been associated with femaleness, which is associated with not as much crush it and not as much success. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of cultural fibers that are woven together to make people think it's weak. And so it's the first thing men say to me, well, I can't do that because I sound weak. It's mm -hmm. going to make me weak. And women say to me, I can't do that because I'll just go to the fridge and eat the whole cake. <laughs> and so actually both of those are wrong. You know, you're at, uh, people who are self-compassionate are less uh, to less likely to be self-indulgent in a way that hurts you, like an addiction, like maladaptive behavior way. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, uh, it, when we teach mindful self-compassion, Kristen's Kristen's work, and even when I teach my classes, we always start with basically like what are the myths in going through them. And one of the reasons that's done is there was a study done with nurses because we wanted to see if we could raise the self-compassion of the nurses and then um, kind of take a look at their quality of care and a bunch of other uh, factors or their um, satisfaction rating with their job and so forth. Uh, I, it was not my research, but uh, it was published. And one of the things they noticed was if they did not address the concerns that nurses had about like what you just said, like this is going to make me soft. This is or it's going to uh, self-compassion is selfish. It's narcissistic. Uh, like there's a list. <laughs> if those concerns were not addressed before the self-compassion intervention, it didn't work or it didn't work as well. Mm. So, so, you, so you basically have to go through and break their false beliefs ahead of time before you can actually let them know what's available. That was it's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't it, say you have to, but it. I think it. I think you can kind of put it's more effective. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. just going to ask the question as soon as they can, or they're going to wait for somebody to ask it because they don't want to feel like the ones that are worried about being seen as weak, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting balance because you're looking at so one. If you, if you look at like startup people, right, they're on the grind. There's a reason why there's a Starbucks in every culture, every yeah. every corner is it's a drug. It's a stimulant drug. That revolution was based in coffee shops. I mean, that like everything that we've had is is go, go, go. Um, and so you do get a lot of stuff done, but there is that burnout, like drop to the floor, can't recover. There's there's things that happen that cause you, you might be able to sprint quickly. Like a person on meth can run pretty fast. 
I'm, I'm willing to bet they'll go really quick. Maybe not faster than Usain Bolt, but but they're gonna they're gonna move. They're gonna say that person's got a lot of speed in them. Um, yeah. But the the challenges is that is that recovery cycle and that patterns of that. So like, how do you like so taking that those those because that's a sharp burst of energy, right? That gets you going, right? Fear is a sharp burst of energy. Shame and guilt and all that stuff. It's a burst of energy that you you know what to do with. So like, if you're feeling that energy, right? The two things I say is 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 two questions either way in this we want to go is how do you one recreate that kind of sharp burst of energy with self-compassion or two on the on the on the other side of that right if that happens how do you in that and you and you hit that how do you recover from that situation of actually feeling that shame that that energy spike of like i'm overwhelmed because i feel so much shame and guilt and what do i need to do kind of thing there's just been so much research on this uh, over the last 10 years, uh, you know, as we've been watching people burn out. <laughs> uh, I, you know, some research to take a look at is Kelly McGonigal's research. Um, mm. If you're in the games industry, you might know her sister, Jane McGonigal. Oh, is Jane McGonigal's sister? Oh, got it. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, got I it. Know. And then how yeah. does that family have two like amazing women? Good grief. But her sister has done a lot of work on this idea that stress is not bad. And, uh, you know, it just kind of runs counter to the message that we've had for the last 20 years around heart health and all of this. But the really what she's saying is the stress that gets you to do a sprint to get something done that you really want to get done is good stress. And so there's good stress and then there's bad stress that, you know, like the long term anxiety and that kind of thing. And so her research uh, is looking at delineating between, you know, when it's good and when it's bad. And so, so I think that's the first response I'd give you. Oh, interesting. So just talking that, so what you're talking about is there's two different types. And I think you touched on a really interesting point just to highlight there. And I guess the, what I'm realizing right now is there's a difference between a immediate needed stress, which is healthy. And like, for example, I mean, we're, we're, we have primitive brains. We come from the background. So stress, uh, tiger in the jungle, run versus speed. Makes that would sense. Be good. That'd be it would good be stress. good to run. <laughs> good stuff, right? Get you going. Uh, good, good morning jog away from a predator. Um, at the same time, what you're, the, I think the bad stress that is, is that constant perpetual stress that doesn't leave the chronic stress of that low level stress that goes on all day, all night, Monday through Friday for months and months and months. And that is the thing that is kind of like this loop to loop that a lot of entrepreneurs, startup people, coffee shop, technical nomads are on. Um, so I think that's the the big thing. of uh, That's the big realization I'm having right now is that those two things and understanding that there makes sense to sprint, um, but it's mm -hmm. being able to do that in a, in a capacity that avoids the chronic stress. So one of the things in nature that's really easily observable, you know, if you watch any nature video with like, let's say like the alligator coming out of the pond to chomp on the alpaca or whatever, not the <laughs> whatever deer like animal those are. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, what you notice with that a uh, deer like animal is it sprungs away like ah you know it runs away and it runs right but then like five minutes later or less that thing's like laying down and sunning itself like it's got no problems in the world right and so i think what we're missing a lot of times is we know how to go up but we don't know how to go down and uh you know we have the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, right? You know, the sympathetic is what's fight or flight is like, ah, parasympathetic is, oh. And, and so parasympathetic is what kind of ramps up at night where, you know, you're getting ready to go to sleep and, and sympathetic vice versa. Um, but humans are more complicated than, you know, other animals. And we have a lot of thoughts. We have thoughts. <laughs> and I think frequently it's what these like ruminating thoughts that we have that get us stuck in these anxiety, the, the low grade anxiety, because of what we're telling ourselves is that's where self-compassion and that's where inner ally really shines, because what I do with people is I'm like, all right, tell me, tell me all about it. Like what's going on for you. And 
what I'm doing when they're telling their stories is I'm figuring out what are their maladaptive behaviors? You know, what are they doing that is not working for them? And what are their maladaptive thoughts? The thoughts that are making them miserable. You know, uh, life will always chuck pain at you, right? Like, so if you think of pain here, you've got it. You got to slog through it, right? But the inner voice, when it's on kind of high anxiety, it's like our inner voice layers another layer of problems on top of it. We make our life worse with the thoughts like we think. And so, you know, I tell the story about myself, you know, one of my core emotional needs is the need for security. Uh, and that kind of is an entrepreneur that's tied to money. <laughs> and so I always joke that I ha I can go from, you know, zero to homeless in uh, 1.2 seconds <laughs> just because a client hasn't paid a bill yet. Yeah. And that's my inner voice, triggering emotion, triggering my inner voice, triggering like, and it's this downward spiral that's so fast that like in my mind, I go from successful entrepreneur to homeless. <laughs> and so this is this layer, this, this inner adversary layer that we add on top of the pain that life deals us, the, that that we can just get rid of that. And and uh, it's this is super fun work because people see real change in their life and pretty quickly. Well, it's interesting about that. It's yeah, I mean, we are hardwired to design. That's why like we're, we have a lot of things around social pressure um, in the situations because uh, one bad decision. You say something stupid. I goof up on the camera and say something, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, they're gonna kick me out of the tribe. I'm gonna wander into the forest and I'm gonna die. Like almost right. every single time, it goes down to that. Oh no, my girlfriend <laughs> broke up with me. I'm gonna wander in the forest and I'm gonna die. Right? It's it just, it's the same. So it just the the same thing with the you know a marriage that ends or anything else that happens. Right? You're like, okay, now I'm gonna be in the forest. I'm gonna be alone and I'm gonna die. And it just it circles like that. And as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm not going to close this deal. I'm going to run out of money and then I'm going to die. Right. It's just this, it's a cycle of patterns and behaviors. And you talked about identifying not only the maladaptive behaviors, but their maladaptive thoughts. How do yeah. you, what is the process or how do you help them identify these maladaptive thoughts and these storylines that they're telling themselves and so that they can become first aware so they can take action on them? Well, I got some help, actually. Uh, I built on top of a body of research uh, called schema therapy or um, schema theory. And it was uh, basically done by a psychologist and his team where uh, he was the guy who got all the really difficult patients that uh, other people weren't uh, having progress with. And so he got a lot of... Um, uh, bipolar, schizophrenic, uh, borderline personality, the ones that tend to not really do real well with talk therapy. And when he first started his research, oh gosh, probably 20 years ago now, at least, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy was the thing. Like it, it was like the new, latest, greatest, and we can cure people with their thoughts. And so what he noticed with these patients is that he could get them to a certain level with cognitive behavioral therapy. For people who don't know what that is, it's just a way of basically working with your thoughts um, to help yourself kind of see more clearly like what's going on. That's probably not the best explanation, but <laughs> it'll do for now. Yeah. Uh, and so, but what he was seeing is that these patients had these behaviors that persisted even though they did the cognitive behavioral therapy stuff. And so he started kind of putting them into these little buckets of like, okay, here's this maladaptive behavior. And then really took a look at like, well, what happened? Like it, it essentially most of those maladaptive behaviors had resulted from some kind of trauma most often early childhood trauma. And so uh, what happened is he ended up with all these different categories of maladaptive behaviors. And then he, he had, he created like different things to help each person in, in or each bucket basically. Right. And so um, one of his graduate students uh, took his structure of maladaptive behaviors and came in and said, you know, 
each of these uh, each of these categories, there's something that was missing in this person's life, some core emotional need that was not met at some point. And then this person keeps grasping out for this need because it never was met. And that results in the maladaptive behaviors. And so uh, with my inner allies, the way that I work with people is based on these core emotional needs. And so it's pretty easy for me to kind of listen to people talk and I can be like, okay, there's this, there's that, <laughs> they're behaving in this way. And to really figure out like what their core needs are. Um, I've also based on that research developed a quiz that's on my homepage at innerally.com. That's, it's just, it's kind of, it looks like this cutesy personality quiz, like who's your inner ally. Uh, but in fact, it's actually uh, a quiz about your maladaptive behaviors <laughs> in disguise. But what happens is you find out like what at the at that particular time when you take the quiz, what is the number one thing that you need to be attending to? And, you know, so what it does is it matches you to an ally. But each of my allies are have this the set of core emotional needs that are encompassed with that ally. And so in fact, those are the things that you would propel yourself forward the fastest if you were to nurture those core emotional needs first. And so that's uh, that's what that's all about. Oh, got it. So that's awesome. I mean, when I'm looking at those things, I mean, we always have original incidences in our lives that cause the trauma, those original wounds, right? Then they fester and then you get beliefs. Then you take actions around those beliefs, the actions turn into habits, and that becomes a way of life. And you're basically constantly thirsty, right? So that's that constant thirst, right? So whether that's a, you know, a need for love or significance or security or whatever, whatever the things might be, so that you're constantly doing that. And if you're not aware of that, then you're, you're trying to constantly consume versus be the person that is actually self-producing that actual love or compassion or whatever the thing might be. So then you've created what I'd call NPCs, non-player character types that you've put together in a, in a format that says, okay, um, much like uh, there's, I don't know if you know about the thing where they, there's, their cheetahs are really neurotic. Like this, the, the running they're really neurotic. They're very skittish as you know, they're yeah. very fast and they're skittish. So what they do is they pair them um, when they're in captivities with like Labrador dogs, golden retrievers. I've heard right? that. Right. And so they, they put them together in that thing that really bounce up because the dogs are so chill. that He's like, and the cheetah's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take my social cues from this chill person. I'm going to be more chill. Right. So that's that same that. So you, so you've basically done that in terms of understanding the coordinates and say, okay, you're this person, go to this person, make a, make a friend out of this, this character. And then, then they're able to then kind of model that behavior as we do. And then, and then ideally uh, start to be realized that some of the gaps that they have, right. So that's kind of what the, um, the inner allies do the work in that format. Cool. Yeah. So the inner allies help you to understand what it is that you uh -huh. need to nurture. But the, the thing that I found really helpful is that I base I basically give people stock self-compassionate language around those needs. Oh, and cool. so instead of, you know, if somebody says like, okay, uh, Dylan, say something, you know, supportive and compassionate to yourself, you're kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's you're like, where do you start? Right. And so it, it because of the way our society is um, structured and it kind of sees self-compassion as being weak and shameful, narcissistic, selfish, all those things that, you know, we talked about. Um, when we try to build self-compassionate language in ourself, it feels against the law, like we're doing something wrong or, 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 you know, like if we say something compassionate, then the piano is going to fall on our head or, and so there's like, you, there's actually inner hangups that we all have when we try to practice this. And so, uh, when the people that come to me, those are the ones with the really loud inner voices that are giving, giving them a hard time. Right. And so as soon as you say something self-compassionate, your inner critic is like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, this is like cheat sheet. So like each inner ally comes with like phrases to help you speak. And the whole idea, like, it, in fact, I want to just show you like, yeah. here's, here's the cards. Here's oh, look at those. like, we got uh, a healer, the mm. companion, the saint who's all about forgiveness. And, oh, wait, let me show you the original. 
the grandmother. <laughs> oh, nice. That's so nice. She made the deck. That's awesome. So, each of these cards comes uh -huh. with like phrases and the way that I made the cards, you can see on the back here, the, they're blank, they're lined because the whole idea is that you are creating customized language for yourself. And so the allies are guides they're mm -hmm. to help you kind of get into the rhythm and to begin to understand mm -hmm. what it is to speak to yourself compassionately, which sounds ridiculous because like, I like, the example I just gave you, well, you're just supposed to treat yourself the way you treat a friend, which is so simple. Yet, but when we try to get into the nuts and bolts of actually practicing it for ourselves on a regular basis, this is then why I have clients. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, ex like ideas, easy. Uh, execution on a consistent basis, incredibly difficult, especially around things that, 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 that pathways of um, self-compassion and like feeling worthy that you should, that you can be loved, feeling worthy mm -hmm. that you deserve self-compassion, feeling there's a lot of things around that. And then the, the, and also that survival pattern around, um, I need to survive. So I need to be hard on myself. It's a really, it's a really difficult thing to get past, especially if you grew up in a kind of like a survival, um, environment, which I'm sure a lot of us have. As children, I mean, that's just what we're doing. We're surviving and then we're really relying on our early childhood caregivers, parents or whoever those were to, to take care of us. And what happens with our inner voice is that oftentimes we just subconsciously adopt an inner voice mm -hmm. that is either the way a childhood caregiver treated us mm -hmm. or... Uh, in my case, I actually adopted the way my caregiver treated themselves, which mm -hmm. is a little more subtle. Mm -hmm. But if you once you start doing this work and paying attention to how you're speaking to yourself and, and, and you know, making a rule for yourself that if you say anything unkind, you turn it around uh, uh, and gently uh, give yourself kindness and support in that moment. When you start doing this work, then you look around and you start hearing people say things and you're like, oh, no, like <laughs> that's not self-compassion. <laughs> And so even though our inner voice, no one hears it, yeah. it, it leaks out right in, in our language and, you know, in our close relationships, especially. And so, so yeah, so you can pick up a lot of your inner voice just unconsciously from, from those experiences in early childhood. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, for years I've been cultivating just super positive friends. And so when someone comes into my atmosphere, that's negative. You're like, like, no, 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 no. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's this about? I was like, wow, okay. It's just, it's just a loud sound that you can just, it's just blaringly, you can hear it. And so it's, it's a very interesting thing to see with the, 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 um, with the, 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 the deck you have there, um, the NPCs, is there games that people play with it? Is it exercises? Do they just flip them over? Like, what does that, what does that look like in terms of a process? You know, um, the way that I use them, I use them with my coaching clients uh, mm -hmm. and in the classes that I teach. And the way that they're used are typically we address pressing problems in people's lives. Uh, and so if, for instance, um, you know, you've got a problem where you are feeling like you might like oh my gosh, I screwed up at work. I'm going to lose my job. You know, uh, that kind of a inner voice around security. Mm -hmm. So like that would be a, that's, that's our knight character. <laughs> He's the security guy. <laughs> and, and so what I would do with folks is to hear what their inner voice is saying. And so it takes a little bit of trust to get people to, to speak their inner voice as a first person, you know, like, like it's speaking to them uh, because it can be kind of embarrassing to say what your inner voice is actually saying. Right. Because, like we think that we can get away with saying anything with our inner voices because nobody can hear it. But the thing is, 
all of this research shows us that it's not innocuous. Like we are listening to our inner voice and we are affected by it. Mm -hmm. And so I really usually start with where people are struggling in their life, really dig in on the negative, I hate to use negative, positive dichotomy, but the voices that are causing concern behavior or suffering for them is a really great way to say it. And then we just kind of turn those around. You know, we, we, we check in with what inner ally is going to be helpful in that situation. Cause it's pretty easy to figure out like what every inner voice that is barking for our attention and yelling on us for some reason, there is a kernel of wisdom inside of it. Like oftentimes you'll find out that uh, an inner voice is trying to protect you in some way. And so but it has a terrible way of going about it, right? <laughs> and so that the process is mostly listening to the current problems that they're experiencing with their suffering and then identifying what that core emotional need is and then just trying some language on, kind of like putting on a costume. You know, I had this really great, I did this great work with um, a recovery organization where they were having a weekend retreat and each of the recovery counselors decided to play an inner ally and they all dressed up in costume. It was so fabulous. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Real life LARPing. Yeah, I kind of encourage people like put it on like a costume, like try on the words, see how they land for you. And then we just keep working with their inner language until you can tell like people are like go like oh okay yeah they either feel like calmed down by the whole process or nurtured by that language or they feel empowered by it uh, and so like that's the goal we get there and then it's practice and so the car i love the physical cards because you can take them you can stick them in your you know, on your dashboard, you can tape them to the mirror in the, in the bathroom, you know, you can put them in your wallet. That's why they're, you know, business card size. And so the idea is the more that you can practice with them, it's like you're here is this pathway that you've been grinding your whole life right now. We're going to be a chunk. We're going to start grinding on this one. That's going to give you better outcomes. Right. And so, but it's hard to retrain your, it takes practice to retrain your brain. It's, it's hard. It's sneaky because I mean, it's, it's been routed. It's what you've known. It's what you're used to. And the weird thing is sometimes yeah. we'll choose, we'll choose security and, and pain over the unknown Right. And, yeah. and be possibly pain free. So it's right? we do all the time. We're like, that's oh, why I'm like, look, it's so cute and approachable. <laughs> it's fine. That's right. Like, yeah, you, you lure them, you're like, you make it look like candy, but it's basically a vegetable. And you just wrap it in candy flavoring. It's not a well, bad thing. You asked me a question that I yeah. did not answer, and that is, is there a game? And oh, yeah. we actually, I was working on a game mm -hmm. um, a while back. Uh, we did have a setback uh, that happened uh, that uh, I won't go into, but uh, it was significant, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, but I'm kind of back at it. So I'm back at building a mobile app for this. Oh, cool. Um, this the the current iteration is not really set up as a game it's set up more as a uh like a daily check-in daily reminder where you're getting kind of fed different phrases and you're able to kind of build your own library of custom phrases and that kind of thing so it's a little bit more of like a therapy tool than i would like like uh you know but this is what the budget has for me right now <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I, uh, I have always uh, I shouldn't say I've always, but for for several years, I've dipped my toe into the games industry in into the uh, basically the serious games or, yep. arena uh, where people are looking to you know have some kind of behavior change or some something else along with the game mechanics. And so you know, games I think are one of the best things that best tools that we have for behavior change and practice, right? And so, you know, I, I would love to talk to people. If anybody's interested in like game development and wants to learn more about my characters, like let's talk. <laughs> That's awesome. It is. It's it's interesting because like games, they're 
one of the most powerful things because it's an interactive experience versus a movie rather than a movie's got to have an amazing writing that makes you lose yourself into that type of things games at the same point they have to be well balanced right because you can yeah. you know you can can do a lot of things inside there so making a great game is surprisingly difficult um because you gotta have good flow right good, yeah the, the, the you know me high me check me high kind of thing of the whole flow right if it's too if it's too easy you get bored if it's too difficult you get too stressed and you got to have that feedback system so that you're going through it and you stay in that flow zone the problem is, is that everyone's flow zone is different right getting them to go through something is incredibly challenging um and it's very hard to get it right there is possible to get right and it is possible to scale it. And and when people get it, that's when you see all those clones, right? Yeah. Someone makes yeah. a flappy like bird. The Candy Crush like, clones. Candy right? Crush. Yeah. All <laughs> the, there's a in the VR world, it's Beat Saber. Like yeah. Beat Saber came out, and now there's thousands of Beat Saber for fitness and Beat Saber for this and Beat Saber for that. But they see that and they see that that new paradigm of what's possible in the, in the gaming space. And it's a challenge. But it's awesome that you're actually doing this, actually using it and applying it in a way that is, I mean, it sounds like it's first starting as kind of like this like um, more of a mental model than you've got this physical object as a reminder to say, this is my environmentals. This is, this is who I, this is my partner. This is, this is my other half that, you know, that completes me, you know, and then we <laughs> you work together with them and it's, and then you have that beautiful kind of experience. And then as you start to do that, as, as any relationship happens, you start to merge those personalities together and you take on those identities, which is awesome. I um, mean, I think it's, I think it's great. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities to, to do something that is, gamified with it what that is that's an exploration and a conversation it is it's a and it's something that you have to go and play those games together and sometimes it's fun to do mental games like okay you're a koala i'm a tree you're gonna climb me and i drop fruit but there's some <laughs> bad fruit and some's good fruit you got to figure out which ones they got bad things good whatever the thing might be you run through those, those those things and you'll find something so i think that's great what do you think is in terms of for yourself like what is um some of the threshold guardians that people face as they try to what I threshold guardians, what are some of the obstacles? What are some of the roadblocks? What are some of the things that people face as some they of the bosses? Bosses, yeah. As they go and they try to identity shift uh, across this, what are the challenges that they face when they're like, I'm gonna go that way? And then they go, Nope, 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 I'm going back to this other way. So what are that, what are some of those typical ones that you often see? You know, uh, in the beginning, it's usually the ones that are associated with the myths of self-compassion, you know, the inner voice that just won't give up, like, you know, oh, I can't do this because it's selfish or I can't do this because it's weak. Uh, that's kind of the ones that show up in the beginning. And, you know, I can give the little lecture on why it doesn't work, but sometimes it takes a more uh, in-depth process to really embody that knowledge you know and and i feel like in my coaching and when i teach my classes uh that like 80 percent of what i do that's effective is giving people permission <laughs> like permission to be to be supportive and kind to themselves is like huge um you know and i think the other thing that really comes to mind for me because i've been grappling with it is that it's it's kind of like attrition or um it's kind of like where you pay for the gym in january and then for the first three months you're like crushing it and then all of a sudden you're just like oh. and you stop you stop going and uh and then you know you're you stay fit for a while or <laughs> but then at some point you're like you know mm -hmm. you gotta lift something you're like oh like i don't have the same strength and i think that's really uh common too for any kind of kind of psychological shift or change and that is it's it's super easy to have like the moments of enlightenment right that i had multiple ones in my story but it's harder to stick with the the process right and so you know, just like oftentimes I talk about what I do as emotional fitness, because people can wrap their head around fitness, because at this point they know, like if they're, if they don't have a fitness routine, that's on the regular, they're not going to stay fit. <laughs> We've all been through that. And so emotional fitness is the same thing. And so practicing with your phrases and checking in, raise continuing to raise your level of self-awareness, which is the first step to being even able to even recognize what's going on in your head. Right. Uh, so that 
building up that mindfulness, that continuing of awareness of the thoughts that are in your head, changing that relationship. So when really challenging or ridiculing or bully type thoughts come up in your head, you know, you can just come in and be like, oh, I'm sorry, little bully. I'm stick. I'm sorry you feel, let's solve this problem together, right? <laughs> or maybe it's your fierce compassion that comes in and be like, no, you're going to sit on the shelf, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mama bear compassion too. So I think it's this, it's the same problem with like, how do you deal with long-term behavior change? And that's why I've actually, in January, I'm going to be expanding. I teach a course that's like, uh, inner ally 101. Like, how do you do this? Uh, but what I know is it's not long enough because it, that's like a four or five week course. I've taught it both ways, but I'm expanding to a 12 week program because I really feel like people want it and they need it. Uh, and, uh, that the course is just too short and there's so many other things um, that we can explore. Like for instance, you know, self-compassion is, is really great way to motivate yourself to achieve goals. And so, you know, I've got a whole system where we work with your goals and figure out like, well, what is that core emotional need that's driving you to even want this goal in the first place, you know? And then how do we nurture that thing? So, you know, it, when, when you ask that question, like those are the two things that kind of came up as the, the roadblocks that people have is, that's beautiful. And, and there's, there's, I mean, so there's so much there with the, the, the typical paths, which you're talking about the giving yourself permission to get started, losing momentum along the way, right? Finding other incentives that actually keep you going along the path of why I can do that and being able to, and, and, and when it does pop up, because it always will pop up, things will happen that, you know, is, is being able to have a structure to be able to kind of squash that in a, in a way that is kind and loving or fierce and protective on both sides of the fence, mother energy, father energy, um, which I think is, which I think is beautiful. Um, with all the work that you're doing um, in the space, what is your, what I would call the Holy grail? Like what is there, what is your overall, you know, um, uh, end goal that you're trying to achieve by putting together inner ally and all the work that you do? Ah, uh, to live a fabulous life. <laughs> that is my end game. <laughs> 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 that's a beautiful life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, uh, I am 52 mm -hmm. right now. And so I have passed through many phases of my life. I've mm -hmm. had many careers and done many things. And this is now where I want to be in my life. I'm doing what I want to do. Like, I love this stuff. I really enjoy working with individuals and working with groups as well is really fun. I do... I do corporate stuff, you know, corporations are starting to sweeten up to this whole idea that maybe, you know, Eastern thought, <laughs> like mindfulness and self-compassion might be, we might want to pay attention to that. So, you know, I'm getting asked more and more to do work in that space. And so uh, just spreading the word of the power of your inner voice and how you can turn it into your own like superpower. That is, that's what really turns me on, you know, and, uh, you know, I've got uh, the card deck is in its prototype stage. So, you know, I just have plans, you know, I, I want to build this 12 week program to be just a real core curriculum and then have like a practice group that continues on after it. We're, you know, like I said, working on that mobile app still. And eventually uh, I'm going to get that card deck printed professionally Um so uh, many, beautiful. I mean, these, all these things light me up, you, you know, you didn't skip a beat when I asked you what that goal was. You're like, live a fabulous, like, boom, right there. You just had it. You know, there was, <laughs> I, I that was great. Um, what is there, is there, a, um, whenever anybody seeks a Holy grail, there's usually a dragon defending it. There's something that could be larger <laughs> than life that you don't know if you can overcome. Is there a dragon preventing you from living a fabulous life? It's me. <laughs> uh, plot twist. 
Oh no! Blood twist, it's me. It's also me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's the thing, you know, about my work is uh, I have to honestly do my work, which means I have to honestly be doing my work on myself for my own neuroses, <laughs> and, and and I do. You know, uh, and so uh, you can consider that a dragon. Uh, you know, that's my biggest dragon, honestly, in my is staying true to myself with my own uh, personal growth work. And and, you know, that it also I wouldn't there's some dragons in entrepreneurship as well. But this inner inner voice stuff, you know, if you uh, if you dance with that dragon mm. <laughs> put out his little poof of smoke be like oh no <laughs> it's so powerful it it really changes things yeah i agree and it's and it's, it's powerful that's true i mean you're your biggest ally and you're your biggest dragon on both sides of that so i think it's beautiful um with that being said is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you can tell them how to get a hold of you well I think the most important thing for you to know is that it is possible for you to change your life. It is possible for you to change the voices in your head because we have control over them. You know, the emotions that, and some of the difficulties that we experience in life, oftentimes we don't have control over. But the more we can work with our inner voice, you really have the ability to change your life. So that's, that's I mean... Shoot, if I can do it, you guys can do it. <laughs> I love it. That's my exactly. number one thing. And then if you want to get a hold of me, the easiest way is at innerally.com. And my email and my phone number's on there. My phone number's been on the internet since, I don't know, 2006 or something. <laughs> I won't pick up your call unless you're in my, <laughs> but I won't call you back. <laughs> There's a lot of things that says scam likely all over the place. You I know, know right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. And if you're interested in personal coaching, you know, that is happening right now. There's a coaching page you can just hit, tells you about the process, you know, how to get going. And if it's for you, it's really easy to tell who is going to be interested in my work because I just, the people who are hard on themselves, the people who get in their own way, their own worst enemy, those are my people. <laughs> and so if that's you, you should consider taking a look at this stuff. And um, and also you might take a look at my mentors website as well. That's Kristen Neff and she's at self-compassion.org. And uh, there's just so many free resources out there. And so if you need something that's low cost, you can, you know, read her book that's not very expensive <laughs> that's beautiful yeah there's a lot of ways to get help uh, it's always better when you have a coach or a mentor or something that guide the way but if not there are the low cost ways along the way just watch out for those typical threshold guardians who come along the path that might stop you so um with that cynthia thank you so much for your time i appreciate you being on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure and i will see you on the other side thank you dylan it's been a delight Absolutely. Take care now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.